About three years ago, my family was en route to church camp and taking the girls, I think it was taking Marley actually, to Indian Creek Youth Camp up in uh, outside of Parrish, Alabama. And I don't know if you've ever been to Indian Creek Youth Camp. It's really out in the middle of nowhere. Uh, and, and there is some very small towns that are out, out beside it. And of course, I believe we had been there the year before was our first year. So this would have been Marley's, I believe, second year to go to church camp. Uh, so we were still fairly new to the the uh, drive to get there. Uh, and even though I drive all over the state of Alabama for my job, that's one area that I did not frequent. And so we had to use the GPS. And so we put it in the phone. I put it in my phone's GPS and, and uh, you know, follow those directions as we drove from Montgomery up north on 65 and got off on the interstate going from Birmingham to Memphis. And, and then as you're going on that interstate, you eventually have to get off. I think it's the Paris, Cordova, some exit over there. Uh, they're off that interstate. And then you start going on smaller roads. All right, so you get off those main roads, obviously it gets a little more tricky. And for those of us who had not been really driving there very often, uh, you know, I was really dependent on that GPS. Uh, it's very interesting how dependent you become on that. I don't know if you've ever seen the Office episode. If, you, if you're an Office fan, uh, obviously there's some things in the Office that I don't condone, but there's one episode where Michael and Dwight are going on to a, a call and they, and they put they had GPS device in his car and so he puts it in the GPS and he follows that GPS and ultimately drives into a lake because it told him to turn left. So he turned left and he went right into the lake and he wasn't watching where he was going. He's just listening to GPS. Well, I found myself in a somewhat of a predicament as we were listening to the GPS signal. And so the signal was very interesting. I mean, the, the directions through the GPS was interesting because it, it kept telling us to take this turn, make this turn. And every time it would say make a turn, there was a road there. So what, I wasn't following directions into a lake. Don't get me wrong. I wasn't going to go that far and end up in some pond or have to you know, evacuate the vehicle. But every time that it told me to turn left or right, there was a, a street there. So I thought, well, this knows where it's going. Maybe it's diverting me away from you know, high traffic or an accident. Well, ultimately, it got me to turn off of a main paved road to a dirt, uh, like a, a gravel road. And I thought, well, this is a little bit suspicious. I don't remember going on a gravel road last year. All right. And so then it goes a little bit further. And Scott, it tells me, like, take a left. And when I take a left, it's not even a gravel road. It's a dirt road. And I'm like, this is this does not look right. And Monica's like, are you sure this is where we're supposed to go? I said, well, this GPS says. Daniel says right there, turn left. So I'm turning left. Lo and behold, it went from a dirt road to a grassy driveway. And it was at that point when I said, I cannot go any further. I'm going to jump off a cliff if I keep going here. And so we all got a huge laugh out of it in the car as I put it in reverse, turned around, and went backtracked the other way. Got back on a main road. GPS picked it back up, took us another way. So I don't know what was going on with the GPS when it was telling me to go there. But I have three witnesses that, that would would tell you today, I was following the directions on the GPS. Sometimes in our lives, we follow the directions of others or of those things that we think might be right or, or might be good or, or might be the right path. And when it comes down to our Christianity and our spiritual lives, we really should just stop and turn around. When we are becoming a Christian... And when we deal with the idea of what must we do to become a Christian, what must we do to, to become uh, or to accept, as we're using the analogy, to accept that gift of salvation from God, one of the things that we've got to do is make sure that our lives is, are reconciled to those things which we read about. Now, if you'll think back in our study so far, we've talked about the idea of hearing the Word of God and how important that is to hear the Word of God and what all that does in our life. 
when we hear the Word of God, the fact that it convicts us of sin and it, can, it tells us of God's story. It tells us of His, his scheme of salvation. It, it tells us all these kind of things that, that we, we've got to know in order to even proceed with any kind of faith or belief in life. And if we don't hear the Word of God, we're not going to believe the Word of God. We're not going to have faith in our lives. When we talked about Romans chapter 10 last week, and the concept there is that, you know, we have faith that comes from what? Hearing the Word of God, right? And it says, there, how are you going to believe if you haven't heard? How are you going to hear if you have no preacher? And in our lives, we've got to understand that this process, which I like better than steps, because it's really kind of hard, as I've said several times, it's, it's hard to say where you're really stepping from one to the next necessarily because there's a lot of blending. There's a lot of intermixing that goes on. But there is no doubt in my mind that you've got to hear the Word of God before you ever believe the Word of God. Now that process could last a while. It could last a short time. But the, the Word of God is what pricks us in our heart, just like it did in Acts chapter 2 to the, to the people there on the day of Pentecost. It, it, it convicts us. It convinces us that in fact there is a God, that, that God loves us and that God sent His Son for us. And ultimately, when we have that hearing, when we hear those words, when we hear those teachings in our lives, then we we, we got to make a choice. Do we believe it or not? Is it true or is it false? Is it right? Is it wrong? And so really, in our minds, we've got to make a decision at that point in time. Are we going to believe it or not? And, and whether we believe it or not depends on whether or not we're going to have faith ultimately, right? Because belief is one thing. Acting upon that faith, uh, on that belief is what we call faith. When we, when we really make that step forward because of what we have heard and what we have believed, our faith then takes over. It's the reason why Paul says we walk by faith and not by sight. It's because our actions and our activities as Christians or any spiritual formation whatsoever come from the fact that we believe and we believe and our faith then takes over and we walk by faith. Like Abraham left Ur, he walked by faith, right? He didn't know where he was going. Like Moses, who, who stood before the people and, and, and they walked across on dry land on the Red Sea. He, he walked by faith. And by faith they walked on dry land. You go to the whole Hebrews Hall of Faith and you'll see the idea and concept there is not just belief, it's the idea of a belief plus action equals faith. And that's really what faith is. It's the idea that it becomes that convincing and it becomes that evidence for us in our Christian lives so that we take action in life based upon that belief and that faith grabs a hold of it and we walk by faith. It is an active and a living belief in our life that causes us to take action. And as we kind of keep going and we think about what the Scriptures have to tell us about the belief, one we talked about at the very end of the lesson last week is that belief alone is not enough. Faith alone does not save the book of James talks about the idea that faith without works, which is not works as in something you're trying to, to do to earn. That's not the works that James is talking about. James is talking about actions. Faith without action is dead. It's dead. It's not going to save you. Belief alone will not save us because the, the demons themselves, James says, they believe and they tremble. They know who God is. You better believe they believe who God is. Demons and devils believe that Jesus Christ was the Son of God. They cowered time and time again in the New Testament at His, at his feet. They didn't want to be cast out, right, when they, uh, they were inside of a person. Those demons, they didn't want to go. They knew what Jesus could do. 
But their belief alone is not enough to save them. Just like our belief today. Just because you believe that there is a God, just because you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, is not going to be enough to save you on that day when you bow and you come before the throne of God. And really what you see in the Scriptures is that belief, true biblical belief, leads to repentance. Romans chapter 2, verse 4, there Paul is talking to the Roman brethren. And I love the, this, this section of Scripture talking about how God's impartial. He does not show partiality to anybody. And so you get down to verse 4. Verse 4, do you think lightly of the riches of His kindness and the tolerance and the patience? Oh my God, you think lightly of those things? Not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance. But because of your stubbornness and unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God who will render to each person according to their deeds. To those who, by perseverance and doing good, seek for glory and honor and immortality, eternal life. But to those who are selfishly ambitious and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, wrath, and indignation. You see, in the end, our belief should push us forward. It should create a living and an active faith inside of us to the point where we actually step forward for repentance. And, and so what really is repentance? If Paul says that God's kindness and God's uh, tolerance the, uh, leads us to repentance, and then we've got to cast aside our stubbornness so that we, we, we have a, a penitent heart. What does that mean in our lives? Because that's where we're going here. In fact, if you look at the Scriptures, what you'll see is Scripture after Scripture talks about the need and the necessity of repentance in life. You look here, Luke chapter 13, verse 3 there. Luke chapter 13, verse 3, Jesus says, No, I tell you, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. And guess what? He, I guess it wasn't good enough to say it one time there in verse 3. You go down to verse 5, and guess what? Jesus says the exact same thing. No, I tell you. This is Jesus. Jesus says, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. On that day of Pentecost, in Acts chapter 2, verse 38, if you think of that sermon in Acts chapter 2, Paul, of course, I mean, Peter is talking about the, the actions of the Jewish nation there as they gathered and they crucified the Lord on Calvary as they nailed him to that cross, as they ignored who he was and what he was there for, Peter tells in his sermon who Jesus was, reveals to them. And ultimately, in verse 37, they yell out because of this. They were says they were pierced to the heart. Now, what does that mean to you? If you're pierced to the heart. Now, obviously, this is metaphoric. You know, this is a, they were not literally pierced to the heart, right, Daniel? I mean, if they were pierced to the heart, they'd be dead. Okay, so let's just make that very clear. They were not pierced to the heart as in they had a knife stuck in their heart that was pierced. That's not what it means here. Pierced to the heart is a, a, a metaphor there for the fact that, that whatever Peter had said had pricked them so much that their heart, their very soul, their very essence, their mind, who they were, was pierced. And they called out to Peter and the other apostles and said, Brethren, what shall we do? In verse 38, again, you want to underline a place that deals with how important repentance is. Here you go, verse 38. You cannot avoid it. It's very plain, very clear. It says there, Repent, and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. How important is repentance? Repentance is necessary. It is so important 
that Peter makes sure and explains to them they must repent. And in fact, if you read a couple of verses down, you'll see that Peter says in verse 40, with many other words, he solemnly testified and kept on exhorting them saying, be saved from this perverse generation. So what Peter's trying to say, hey, you've got to be different than these people that are around you. You've got to save yourself. Turn away from this perverse, this twisted generation that they were a part of. Peter's literally telling them, turn your backs on those around you and get away from them. Later in Acts chapter 3, verse 19, in what we call Peter's second recorded sermon, we, we study this, the first recorded sermon a lot, Second recorded sermon is very good as well. So read that in chapter 3 if you'd like to there. In chapter 3 there in verse 19, Peter there at the end of his lesson again says, Therefore, therefore repent and return so that your sins may be wiped away in order that the times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and that he may send Jesus, the Christ appointed for you. Acts chapter 17, Peter later, or Paul later says, the times of ignorance God overlooked, as he's talking to the people there of, of Athens. It says, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. Repentance is necessary if we are going to accept God's gift of salvation. There's no way around it. The scriptures detail it. The scriptures command it. Jesus himself commanded it. Jesus' inspired apostles commanded it. Repentance is necessary. What is repentance? What is repentance? Well, again, and I, I didn't leave a lot of time to, to do a lot of transitions here. I threw it on the board for you already. But repentance, of course, is seen by a lot of people as different things sometimes. And in fact, if you were to look it up like in the Merriam-Webster Dictionary, you may, may find something there that says repentance is to feel regret or contrition, which I think is a little bit lacking. It falls short when it comes to what it means in the spiritual sense. Because repentance in the scriptures are much more than just feeling regret that you have been a part of sin or that you've been a part of maybe a perverse generation, as, as Peter liked to call it there. It's much more than, um, than this basic definition. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10 says, For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. As Paul tries to explain to the Corinthian brethren what it really meant to be sorrowful and being sorry. And in fact, if you look at the beginning part of the context of this passage in chapter 7, Paul's kind of saying, hey, I'm sorry that I made you sorrowful because he kind of came after them. You ever read First and Second Corinthians? I mean, Paul's pretty straightforward with these brethren. He, he tells them how it is. He doesn't really hold anything back. And so in chapter, 17, or chapter 7 of Second Corinthians, as he's dealing with the fallout of his first letter, or the previous letter, maybe really be the second letter, but as he's talking about the previous letter to the Corinthians, in chapter 7, he's talking about how their sorrow that, that built upon them because they were called out for their sin. And because the people were called out, they were sorrowful. And what Paul says, though, is that being sorry isn't what's important. It's being sorry with a godly sorry. That godly sorrow is what brings about repentance. So repentance is so much more than just the idea of regret. It's the idea of regret that is actually coupled with the idea of action and change. It's not just being sorry you got caught. That's not repentance. Repentance is actually a realization that you have a change of mind that produces 
a change of action in your life. Regretting sin and turning from it obviously is, is related to repentance, but it's not the precise meaning of the word that we see in the Scriptures. In the Bible, the word repent really means to change one's mind. And again, the Greek word from which we get this translation of the word repent in English is, is a word that's metanoa, and I'm not metanoa. I don't know if I got that right or not, Gift. Uh, he's back there. He's my linguistic expert. But this metanoa mean, literally means to think differently or afterwards, to be changed. And so you think about that. That's not just the idea of having a contrite or regretful mentality that you regret being uh, caught up in sin. It's the idea that you actually change. You think differently. It is a proactive approach to sin and the consequences of sin in life. And so biblical repentance will result in a change of action. Think of a couple of examples that we see in the Scriptures. Luke chapter 3, and verses 8 through 14, John the Baptist confronts those in his early teaching and when he preached. And he, he preached the need of repentance there unto salvation. And he says there in verse, I believe it's 9, it says, Bear fruits in keeping with repentance, and do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Literally, what John the Baptist was saying is, don't just tell me you repent, go show me you repent. Does that make sense? And I think in our lives, that makes a lot of sense for us, that when we have children and we get on to our child, we don't just want them to acknowledge the fact that they have gotten in trouble for something they've done wrong. Mickey, I guarantee you, when Mitchell got in trouble, you didn't want him just to be, be like, yes, okay, Dad, I got caught. That's not what you wanted. What you wanted is, is the idea that he got caught and realize that that needs to change his future behavior, right? That's what we look for as parents. It makes logical sense. We don't just want them to, to be busted, so to speak, for doing something wrong. We want them to change. We don't just want them to regret that they got caught. We want them to strive for different behavior. And that's what we see in, in this biblical definition of what repentance is in the Scriptures. Acts chapter 3, 19, as we already said, Paul said there, repent therefore and turn back that your sins may be blotted out. The idea there is repentance is much more than just a realization that, hey, I've done wrong in God's eyes. It's the idea that I'm going to take action in my life because I've done wrong in God's eyes. Paul himself said in Acts chapter 26, verse 20, that I preach that they should repent and turn to God and demonstrate their repentance by their deeds. Repentance is required, and repentance is much more than just being caught in the sin. The full biblical definition of repentance is a change of mind that results in a change of action. This makes perfect sense as we examine what God says is required to accept His free gift of salvation, right? In our minds, you just think about the fact that our actions before we accept the gift of salvation are going away from God. Quite literally, if the gift of God was sitting on the communion table here, if I am not following after God, if I am not obeying what God is, I am walking away from that gift of salvation. Because why? Isaiah chapter 59 verse 2 says what? My sins separate me from God. I cannot have a part of God. God cannot be a part of me if I have sin in my life. So our minds and our actions must draw us closer to Him and His outstretched gift of salvation. The only way we can do this is if we change from how we are living in sin and obey His commandments 
for our lives. Think about repentance real quickly with me. There's a couple of points that I want to make out in the time we have remaining. Some just reiterates what we've already spoken about repentance. But I want to make sure we get this concept of repentance and how important it is in order to accept God's wonderful gift of salvation. First of all, think about this. Repentance changes your mind. Now, we've talked about this before, right? In Luke chapter 15, verse 17, there's a, a, a parable that we know very well in Luke chapter 15 called the prodigal son. Excuse me, prodigal son. In the prodigal son story, what we read about is, of course, of a son who says, I want my inheritance now. I'm not going to wait on you to die. I want to go ahead and have my inheritance now to live off of and do whatever I please. He got his inheritance. His father gave, went ahead and gave it to him. He went off and through riotous and, and lust, lustful living, he, 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 he spent it all. On who knows what? We don't know. What we do know is it, it appears that he spent it on things that Christians should have nothing to do with, the way that it's described in the Scriptures. And ultimately, because he, he spent it all, his life became a mess and was ruined. He really literally had walked away from his father. Think about that concept. You know, I can't imagine what it would have been like to actually gather up my inheritance, put it in my backpack, and then walk away from my father's house, just like he did. It would be somewhat of a, I don't think, an emotional moment for me. I don't think it was too emotional for him at the beginning. And in fact, it wasn't until he spent all the money, all of his inheritance, and became so broke that he ultimately came to grips with what his mind had done to him. You see, in his mind, he thought he would be better off. He thought, I, I can make those decisions myself, make my own choices. I'm going to do what I want to do. Everybody hear, hear that? When you have a teenager, you'll hear that, by the way. You know, Dad, I, I want to do it how I want to do it. I want to do it my way. That's the way the, the mindset was of this son. And he went away. Walked away from his father. Turned his back on the home that loved him, that cared for him, that kept him, that provided for him. When he walked away from his home, when he walked away from his father, he disposed of everything he had and so ultimately found himself in what we call the pig pen of life. And if you've ever had a pig pen experience, I'm sorry, I'm not sure that I've ever gotten that deep in sin. But the prodigal son did to the point where he had no money, had no ability. He was away from his father's presence. He, he, he wasn't being provided anymore from him and because he had taken it and left. His pig pen experience, though, changed his mind. That's what it took to change the prodigal son's mind. Is sitting in the middle of the dirt, the mire, the mud, the slop, realizing that all he had to eat was a slop given out to the pigs in the pig pen. And he realized in his mind, a light bulb went off. Even the servants are treated better than this. I'm going to go home and at least I'll just beg to be a servant in my father's home. The lowliest level, lowliest person. And I love what verse 17 says. And I have it marked in my Bible. I don't know if you do as well, but I have brackets around it. And right there where it says, when he came to his senses. I don't know how many times my father may have used that phrase when I was a young kid, but probably a couple dozen. You know, what does it take for us to come to our senses? Because that's literally that moment in time when our mind is changed. And I have it bracketed and I put 
he repented. Or repentance began, I think is what I put in there. Because what you see after that is the, the true repentance of the prodigal son. And so he came to his senses. When he came to his senses, his mind was changed with regard to who his father was, what his father could do for him, and, and what he had done to his father. All those things came in a very crisp and clear view to the prodigal son. He came to his senses and he went home. He turned away from the way that he was going away from his father and instead went toward his father. And that scene that, that is painted by Christ and, and the prodigal son, of course, we've heard sermons time and time again, but the idea that the father just happened to be still looking out for his son to return is something that always sticks with me. Because when that prodigal son finally changed his mind, made that decision and determined to go home and walk back to the home that he had left and go back to his father, go back to his home, that father saw him and ran to meet him. Repentance in our lives connects us with salvation because it changes our mind and our focus from ourself unto our God. Repentance changes our mind to help us understand that those things which we thought may have been in place, those things which we thought may have been true, those things which we thought were in place and important in our life, were in fact not. If you think about Acts chapter 2, if you were to go back and read the, that first recorded sermon there on the day of Pentecost for that, that Peter is recorded a preaching here, what you're going to see is really an outline of Peter convicting these people for rejecting God. And because they rejected God, they also rejected His Son, Jesus Christ. And they crucified Him. Literally. When those men and brethren, or those men spoke up and called out, when they were pierced to the heart and they yelled out to Peter and the other apostles, brethren, what shall we do? We see their repentance changing into action. And as that chapter unfolds, we see the fact that they realized they needed to turn from their ways of sin and they needed to walk and follow after Jesus and after God who provides their salvation. Peter's calling on the people here in Acts chapter 2 to change their minds, to abhor their past rejection of Christ, to embrace the faith in Him as both Messiah and Savior and to turn away from the sins of the world. That's what Peter says to them. There in Acts chapter 2, verse 40, we, we look at Acts chapter 2, verse 38, and it's very, a very important verse, don't get me wrong. But it's not where it ends, because you see, he goes on preaching them. It says in verse 40, and with many other words, he solemnly testified and kept on exhorting them, saying, be saved from this perverse generation. Peter wanted them to understand their current predicament and to change their minds so they would get out of the pig pen and go back home. Repentance changes our minds. Coming to terms with a newfound beliefs, those beliefs in God, the belief, the firm belief that Jesus came to die for our sins, the, the firm belief that, that God has planned a, a course of action for us to accept His free gift of salvation is something that is tough to deal with sometimes, especially as we see around us sometimes with our friends and family who, 
who may have been taught things differently, it, it's tough for them to come to terms. Just like the Jews had a very hard time to come with terms, the fact they had crucified Jesus, the Son of God. But if we truly believe, if we truly walk by faith and not by sight, we're going to change our minds and realize we've got to do differently. Just like the prodigal son came to his senses, we can return to God. Repentance changes our mind. But in the same respect, repentance changes our direction. Uh, we see in Acts chapter 3, verse 19 again, and this is another verse we've already mentioned tonight, but just think about the concept of what repentance does and what Peter said there to them as he preached that second recorded sermon. He says there in Acts chapter 3, verse 9, uh, that re to repent and return so your sins may be wiped away. We can't accept the gift of salvation if we are away from God. And so the direction that our life is going quite literally determines where we will end up. If we are walking away from God, how do you ever expect to be with God in life? We shouldn't. Repentance in our lives is the idea of changing our mind, changing our actions, so that if our direction is going to be changed. We are going to go from being going away from God to turning around, 180 degree turn, and going back to God. Returning back to that original creation, the way that God created us to be unified with Him, to be one with Him, to walk in the garden, to, to enjoy that kind of a relationship with Him. That's what God wants, and that's what repentance brings because we change our direction. If our mind is changed, if we change our mind to make up our mind that we're going to go back to our Father, there's only one way to get there, and that's to go back toward our Father. We can't expect to stay where we are and to get back to our Father. We can't expect to stay where we are and to accept any kind of gift that He's given to us. We've got to go back to Him. And so repentance literally, spiritually, brings us back to God. As I already said, Isaiah chapter 59 verse 2 says that our sin separates from God, us from God. And there's a separation there. And only when we repent and we turn away from that sin, can we go toward God? They are separated, and we don't want to be found in the middle. We want to be found on God's side. Repentance reverses this separation and allows us to change our direction to go toward Him. Those two parables that we already spoke about this evening uh, talks about the, or one of the prodigal son that we talked about tonight, talks about the idea of turning and, and redirecting our life. Billy talked about another good parable on Sunday morning when he talked in his sermon about uh, the parable of the two sons and the father who told them to go work in the vineyard in Matthew chapter 21. And we know there in verses 28 and 29 where the, the son told uh, the father, he said, yeah, I will go. And he didn't go. But he didn't please his father. But thankfully, it says that in the next verse there in, in verse 29, I believe, it says that the son regretted it and he went. You see, there's no way to, to complete the will and follow the will of God in this story, uh, or the will of the Father in this story, to go and work in the vineyards if the son didn't go toward the vineyard. He would never fulfill the will of his father. If he had just said, oh, I, I'm so sorry that I told my, my, my dad that I was going to go, and, but he just still stayed on the couch, what, what good is that? That may be regret. It's not repentance. But what we see here in chapter 21 is that 
that the son regretted it and he went. The son repented. Changing his mind caused about a change in his action and he went back toward the father so that he would be able to fulfill the, war, the will of his father in that situation. When we repent, it changes our mind, it changes our direction, but in a very true way, it also changes our action. Romans chapter 6, verse 23, it says, um, actually, that's not Romans 6, that's actually uh, in Acts. Uh, Acts chapter 26, verse 20, it says, uh, repent and turn to God, performing deeds appropriate for repentance. Uh, as you, you read in the scriptures and you talk about the fact that, uh, that God requires repentance for us, for us to change, it's not just the idea that we change which direction, but we also change which uh, way we are going. We are actually taking action. Can you imagine if you regretted something and you turned around, but then you never took a step in that direction? What would happen? What would happen to you? Well, you there's no real change, is there? You're just going to stand still. You may be facing the other way, but you're not getting any closer back toward the person that you went away from. So in our situation here, if God is, is there with a, a hand outstretched with this gift of salvation, and you have walked away from it because of your sin, and let's say you decide, okay, I, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. I believe that God's got this gift of salvation for me. I know that I, I've got to go back to God to, to take a hold of that gift of salvation. And all you do is turn around and look. Are you ever going to get there? No. you got to take a step, and you got to take action. You know, there, there's a reason why we read in the Scriptures there uh, from Paul, I mean from Peter in Acts chapter 2, the fact that he adds on there the fact that there's action that must be taken. And the action that must be taken are going to be the things that we continue to talk about that I believe James is talking about. Faith without action is dead. You, you can't just say, I have faith and stand there and do nothing. You can't do it. That's not faith. It's not faith. It may be belief. It may be a, a good spiritual mindset. But it's not true faith because you're not taking any steps in any direction based upon your faith. Acts chapter 2, verse 38, there when Paul, when Peter, I get Paul and Peter mixed up way too much tonight. When Peter is, is speaking up and, and answers the question of what must we do Peter said, repent and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Repentance necessarily includes continued obedience to God. And why do you say that, John? Well, when you say you are repenting and you're turning away, whenever you have this U-turn, and you see the graphic up there, the idea there is that you turn away from going one direction and you're going the opposite direction toward God or toward Jesus because of your life and your decision there that you need to follow after Him. You can still go off course. You can still miss out. You can still turn right back around and ignore what God has said to do. The repentance is the, the act of changing the mind and then changing your action and, and changing your life, so to speak, so that you are going into the direction that God wants you to go in, that God has commanded you to go in, instead of the action and the direction that, that you wanted to go in in life. Or maybe that Satan has tricked you into going into and accepting as being okay. 
Or maybe others have, have dragged you down because of their peer pressure and caused you to make that kind of a decision to go against God. Repentance should change all of those things because it changes your mind, it's going to change your direction, and it's going to cause you to change your action to do what God wants you to do so that you go toward Him. So true repentance in life is going to be something that changes so that you are going and moving forward. Turning around is not enough. You must go somewhere. And so what we should do in our lives is go toward God's gift and His outstretched hand so that we will be able to understand what God wants us to do in our lives. Repentance. Repentance. You know, when you think about hearing the Word of God, believing the Word of God, you can't help but think, I've got to do something based upon that belief. Or you really aren't believing anything, are you? I guess you could say, I believe it. But you're not taking any action on it, so you're, you have no faith, really, in your life. And when you think of what God wants us to do for salvation... Uh, with regard to obedience to Him. He, he's laid out certain things for us. And in the first, these first three lessons, we've talked about the things that are necessary so far to be able to go on that path toward learning about who God is and what God has offered to us. And even to the point where we're now talking about some things that God says are necessary for us, some necessary steps, some necessary actions to take in our lives so we can accept that gift of salvation. Now again, don't be fooled. Around the world, and in many different religions, there are going to be some that, that try to say, well, we don't have to do anything for salvation. But it's just a free gift, and if we say we believe in Jesus, then that's going to be sufficient for us. And the problem is, the Scriptures talk about other things being required. Plain and simple. When Jesus says Himself, unless you repent, you will perish. Seems pretty firm to me that we've got to repent. When Peter himself on the day of Pentecost said, to repent and be baptized, why? For the remission of your sins. There's something that's a precedent for the forgiveness of sins that that scripture tells us. And that's repenting and being baptized. We'll talk about baptism later. But repentance is necessary, not because John Tackleman says it's necessary. It doesn't matter what I had to say, Daniel regardless of how well you may say I say it. It don't matter. It doesn't matter what I say. But what does matter is what God has said. And what God has said in His Scriptures is the fact that we must turn from our sins. And the only way we're going to do that is if we repent. Repentance in the Bible requires us to change our mind so that our actions are also changed. As Christians, and I'm going to talk about this in our last lesson as well, you know, repentance really never ends. I think a lot of times we, Wayne, I think we got this check mark box mentality sometimes, right? Oh, okay, I've heard the word check. Uh, I, I believe. I got some faith. I'm good. Uh, I repented. I'm good. Uh, I've confessed. By the way, that's next week's lesson. All right, confession. We're going to talk about what, how important is confessing God, uh, confessing our need for His gift. We'll talk about that next week. Um, baptized. Check. I've been baptized. All right. I'm good. And you know, the reality is there are not only members of the Lord's church who have that mentality, but there are that mentality among some of our religious friends as well. Is that, hey, once you've checkmarked those boxes, once you have become immersed, 
or once you have, have become saved, that you are always saved. Y'all probably heard it. It's called once saved, always saved. It's kind of the way that phrase is usually used there. The problem is we've got to always be on guard of which direction we're going. Yes, it is absolutely important here at the outset when we are obtaining and, and we are, are going to God for that gift of salvation. We've got to turn our lives around or we're going the wrong way. But you know, in our Christian lives as well, repentance is just as important, right? Because we have to maintain that repentance. We've got to maintain that in our lives. There's a lot of passages in Revelation that I'm going to talk to you about when we come to that last lesson of living a Christian life that deals with churches there who have fallen away from what God planned and desired. You know what words you use in every one of those? Repent. Because they had to change their mind to change their actions and be back conformed to what God wants for us to do in our lives. Repentance. It's necessary. It's necessary. Next week, we're going to talk about confessing our need for His gift. And how important is it for us to confess God, both on this earth, before man, as we live our Christian lives. Thank you.